Welcome in game day edition of the Card Chronicle podcast here on Friday. Getting you ready for Louisville Georgia Tech Friday night, seven o'clock kickoff on ESPN. Uh, both teams one and two. Georgia Tech one and one in the ACC. Louisville zero and two in the ACC. First time the Cards. Uh, have lost consecutive games under Scott Satterfield, looking to not make this a thing. It's obviously a, a very big game for both teams, I think particularly for Louisville. Uh, cards are four-and-a-half-point favorites. We'll talk about all that good stuff coming up here over the next 35, 40 minutes or so. Uh, Keith Wynn joining me today. First time he had an off week last week, bye week. Keith, what were, the, uh, what, what were the wins up to during the bye week last weekend? Um, not much. You know, it's just kind of it was kind of nice to be able to, like, kind of, feel like I'm actually pulling my weight around the house more than normal. So, <laughs> so you know, nothing crazy. We went to dinner one night, you know, and, and you know, did that. So we can have some, like, actual, like, husband and wife time with the kid. And uh, I don't know, just kind of just, just being around, not having to worry about writing every night or, you know, doing the pod or doing anything else. So it was just kind of kind of a relaxing it was it was so relaxing that I completely forgot to post the mailbag last week. Like, <laughs> which I mean, I, I literally was just like, yeah, I'm just. It, it was like I, I felt like maybe I'm like a coach or something. Like that. Like all of a sudden, like yeah, it's just a week off, and it's like yeah, not really. I'm <laughs> like you know, take care of responsibilities. And like Friday morning, or like I think it was after the pod, uh, after we like talked, and it was like yeah, we'll just we'll just skip this week. I was like oh shit, I completely forgot I didn't do the mailbag. So I just posted it this week. So yeah, it was it was pretty uh pretty lazy. It was nice though. Yeah, you said the tweet acknowledging that you hadn't made the post at like eleven twenty at night, and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I was like, and, like knowing you, I was like, I guarantee Keith's fucking furious about this. Like just <laughs> very not happy. Uh, we have a game this week. Uh, like we said, Georgia Tech cards have not played uh, Georgia Tech in Atlanta ever. They've only meeting happened back in 2018, uh, which was a, um, a dominating performance by the Louisville secondary holding Georgia Tech to just one pass completion. People are still talking about it now. And uh, I know I said this earlier uh, yesterday, but my friends down in Atlanta, all you, all, the buzz down in Atlanta is that Georgia Tech players fucking fuming from the game two years ago. They're out for blood. <laughs> They don't care that they won by 35, but the, the one completion just doesn't sit well with them. Um, <laughs> in all seriousness, it was, I mean, out of all the ass kickings from 2018, I feel like that has to be the definitive one. Um, am, I, is, am I wrong there? I know I know that there were some bad ones in November when the team had officially quit, but that was the one where it was like, okay, this isn't going to get any better. It was, it was bad. It was so bad, and it started, it was just immediate. Like, it felt like that game was over as soon as it started. And, like, what made it so much worse was Paul Johnston just absolutely yeah. taking it to Brian Van Gorder yeah. and just loving every minute of it. It was – it was that was – and I, I, I don't remember much from that season because it was just completely awful. I, I remember after that game uh, driving over to a buddy's house to have just a couple drinks and – He's a he's a you know pretty well off guy that has season tickets and you know one of those guys that you know this is a like Louisville football is a big deal and he was that was the first time I met, met I saw him just be like I'm done like he was done with the program because they played so badly and it just got to a point and I remember just thinking like man if they've lost if they've lost him they've kind of lost everybody the, the, uh, that was just such a it was such a low point. Like, I don't know about you, like, there was a point in that game where you kind of started to decide with Paul Johnson, you know, like, you know, we're, like, actively rooting for Georgia Tech, but you're like, all right, just pour it on this bitch. Like, like, like we already, like, hated Brian Van Gorder at that point. It only been, I think, four games, but you knew that there was history there. 
you knew that he wanted to just embarrass Brian Van Gorder. And after like just the complete, I mean, I, I, I don't know if I've ever seen a team, at least like, I, I guess until later that year, look as disinterested in a game as that Louisville team did. And they still had something to play for at that point. Like they just um, a week or two earlier had had the Florida state game. They should have won. Like it wasn't like the season was a total lost cause. That was early October. And they just came out and right from the get go, let you know that they did not give a fuck. And it was so embarrassing. <laughs> at some point, like halfway, right. I mean, if we're going to lose, let's let, lose by 80 at this point. Cause <laughs> These guys deserve to be embarrassed. Brian Van Gorder definitely deserves to be embarrassed. And I'm with you. It definitely was one of those. Uh, we were talking before we started. If it wasn't the lowest point in Louisville football history, it's definitely got to be in your top five. Um, what, what would you point to if we're talking just in our lifetimes, the lowest moment in Louisville football history? Because there have been some, obviously, some really high highs, but the, the valleys have been pretty, pretty steep. You know, it's funny, like, I, I, I think I've, and I've probably even told the story on the pod, like, my first Louisville football game was, I, I think, the Ron Cooper year, where I think, he, I guess he won one in 10 or whatever, and my, my mom and I were walking in the Kroger that morning of the football game on a Saturday, and a guy was walking out and literally just said, hey, you guys want to go to a football game? And just handed us two tickets. And it was the day they were playing, I think they played Utah when they had uh, Leon Johnson and Chris Fuamatu Mafala. I don't know yeah. the guy for the Steelers. Yeah. I, I don't remember much, and I might be hazy on my, my facts here, but I remember going, like, first off, that's a low point just in general. The people are just handing out tickets to random strangers because it's like, yeah, I got these tickets. I don't really need them. I know I can't sell them to anybody. Yeah, here, you can just have them random people walking in the, you know, the Kroger on a Saturday morning and like I just remember, like the the stadium being decrepit, and like I, I wasn't a wasn't really a Louisville fan at this point because I was I just moved here from Chicago. College football wasn't even a thing when I was when I was you know that age, but you know I'm like ten years old, and like it was just everything about the entire experience was like this is not normal, this is bad, and that that like but like that was bad for me, but. 2018, like you, you can probably pick game after game, and it's like, yeah, this is a low point. Yeah, the only, the only one that separates itself from that Georgia Tech game, and I guess it's because it was later in the season, is the same season you were talking about, the Ron Cooper season in '97. Uh, and I remember it was when they played Tulane, uh, when when Tulane wound up going undefeated with Sean King, and they were so good. And it was, I mean, our season was already a lost cause. <laughs> I remember. I wasn't watching the game. I had a, a basketball game or, or something, uh, and we were driving around from my old Lincoln Town, this huge ass <clears throat> that we thought was like fancy back in the day. And I'm sitting there in the backseat, and we're listening to Paul Rogers, sounding like he's on the brink of suicide, calling <laughs> the game. And at some point, I don't even remember what the score was. I remember thinking it was the first time in my life that I thought this way. Like I hope Tulane just runs it up. Like I hope if, if we're gonna lose, I hope we lose by 80 because it increases the likelihood that we're going to fire Ron Cooper and get the program back on track. And I remember how just terrible that felt. Just like, it, it's such a helpless feeling when you're actively, you know, you have, even when our, our seasons are bad, I'm rooting for our team. I want them to win. But when you get, when it gets so bad that you're like, something has to happen and maybe terrible things for this football team in this moment are the best things for this football program long-term. That's when, you know, I mean, you're just completely fucked. And that's how I felt in that moment. It's kind of how I felt in that Georgia Tech game. I guess there was still a little bit of hope that they could turn it around. They still had a month and a half to go. But I think that was the like that was when you knew not necessarily that Bobby was going to be fired, but that this thing was 
broken and wasn't going to be fixed. And if it was, if it wasn't a massive change that was going to happen that year, it was going to happen after the season or it was going to happen in 2019. It was just like, that was a clear indication that we were completely screwed. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree. It's, it's kind of funny. I was actually at a, another moment that sticks out kind of quick story. I was at a Louisville alumni event during Crackthorpe's last game. And it was like, at a, it was in public. So there's TVs and everything. And I swear to God, like two drives into the game, no one watched the TV for the rest of this, like rest of the event. Like people were so done with him by that point that no one, like you know, diehard Louisville fans, people are contributing money to the to the alumni pro, you know program, and they're not even watching the TV. It is just like yeah, it's it's that's when it gets really bad. The Crackthorpe year, it's funny because I don't, I don't know if there was one clear moment where it was like this is over. The one that stands out is they played Pitt on a – it was either a Thursday or a Friday. It was a weeknight game, and everybody kind of knew he needs to win this one or else, like, it doesn't matter what happens the rest of the year. He's done. And we wore black uniforms. We had a really good drive to start the game and then just did nothing the rest of the game. But it wasn't a route. I mean, we lost handily, but it wasn't like the, the Sean King-Tulane game. The only – like, the moment that I remember thinking the Cragthorpe era was probably not going to work well – because I'd heard stories like I, I, I graduated college the year before. I knew Brian. I knew a decent amount of guys on the team. And like that summer, they'd kind of been like, I don't know if this is gonna work out. Like <laughs> there were some pretty clear indications. Right? I remember we were like at Molly Malone's like the second week of practice, and they're like, Yeah, uh, like <laughs> Brian was never one to give anything away, but he, even he was like, Yeah, this is. I don't. I don't know. It's gonna be. It's gonna be interesting. But it was that um, the, the Syracuse game that first year. They played so badly in week two against Middle Tennessee. They'd lost to Kentucky in week three. And we all kind of, as fans, collectively picked ourselves up off the mat. We're like, you know, we're reigning Big East champions. We haven't lost a conference game. We can offense has been good. Let's go. And that first offensive play for Syracuse, where they had a wide receiver without, like, like 40 yards between him and the next Cardinal defender. And I think the entire stadium started booing when the ball was still in the air. Like that was <laughs> that moment where it was like, yeah, uh, this is probably not going to work well but thankfully none of those moments this year uh i mean at least hopefully none of those moments last year scott satterfield we're here but if this is going to be a a season as successful as we want it to be it definitely feels like louisville needs to win this game on friday georgia tech kind of feeling the same way though they had the uh the big win over florida state in week one which now doesn't look nearly as big they haven't been great the last two weeks they feel like they want to get some momentum going um we'll, we'll do the start off with the generic podcast question here which team do you feel like needs this game Friday night more? I think mean, I think Louisville. I mean, Georgia Tech is in a spot where they're still rebuilding. I mean, they've got a massive rebuild from what Paul Johnson left, not from a standpoint that Paul Johnson was a bad coach or, you know, didn't do uh, a good job, you know, building that program and winning games. He just did it his way. And he had a unique offense, but he also just didn't recruit in a way that, you would expect a coach to be able to do in Atlanta, you know, like they've got a ton of talent down there and you have a program that, you know, should be able to recruit pretty well, but they didn't do, you know, a lot of the things that schools do. I mean, they, they were sponsored by Russell athletic like three years ago. I mean, you just, they didn't do any of the stuff that you would normally do. So Jeff Collins coming in, I mean, he had a tall task. I mean, he's, he's completely all in on what they're doing down there. He's a Georgia guy and he's doing a lot of, you know, He's all about the 404 and, you know, Atlanta and, you know, this is going to be, you know, Atlanta's team. And it's going to work, I think, in the long run, but it's going to take time because he's got to rebuild completely based off of his own recruiting classes. Um, and a lot of the guys that he had left over just haven't really 
they're not extremely talented guys. They're they're not going to really necessarily fit what he does. Um, so I, I think he's he's in a position where any win is a is a huge plus, um, as opposed to hey, we've got to win this because we're we're fighting for a championship or something like that. So I think Louisville though is obviously in a spot where you could potentially really this this season can kind of get off the rails if you go if you go down there and lose this weekend. So um, you know Satterfield definitely. Um, I would imagine that he feels the, the, a little bit of a kind of a pressure to, to get a win down here because uh, you got a couple big games coming up after this and, and the schedule looks a little bit tougher in the middle than it did at the beginning of the season. It's a weird game when you look at it on paper because I feel like the predictions I've seen have been pretty evenly split between like Louisville's going to win handily and this is sort of a toss-up game. And when you look at Georgia Tech, just what they've done, the, the scores – there's nothing impressive there. They beat Florida State 16-13, which looks, I mean, nowhere near as good as it did going after that first week. Florida State has been a total dumpster fire since then. And they get blasted by Central State, who lost last week. So they no longer look like they're, you know, outside threat to be a college playoff team. And they lose handily to Syracuse. So you're kind of looking at that saying, how is Louisville only a four or four and a half point favorite in this game? But when you look a little bit closer... Georgia Tech has moved the ball really well on offense. They've had 400 yards or more in all three of those games, but they just have been awful when it comes to turnovers and awful when it comes to red zone stuff. Is that kind of the scariest thing about this game for Louisville is that if they just cut down on shitting the bed in the red zone and cut down on some of the stupid turnovers, like they've got a a decent amount of young talent. They've put up some solid yardage. They just haven't been able to cut out the silly mistakes. Is that kind of why, am I wrong in thinking that Georgia Tech is a little bit scary when you look at the numbers? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that turnovers are always kind of a little bit of luck, bad luck or good luck, good luck. Uh, Bill Connolly, uh, actually, you know, uh, you know, SP plus fame, you know, he, he actually labels turnovers as literally turnover luck. I mean, you rely on turnovers on how good your defense is or how good your offense is. Sometimes you just have bad luck and Georgia Tech has some really bad luck. I mean, video game cartoonish turnover type stuff where, you feel like you keep getting dominated in Madden because your quarterback gets hit every time and the ball flies in the air and they have to pick it off. Like that literally, that's half their turnovers right there. Jeff Sims <laughs> getting hit while he's throwing the ball. The ball goes up in the air and a defensive lineman makes a diving interception. Or, you know, a, a defensive back comes in flying in. And, and I'm talking like cartoonishly, like high flying, you know, the ball flying high in the air to the point where, like, a safety can come down the line and catch it. It's, it's been <laughs> hilarious to watch. Like, I, to the point where I'm, like, laughing uncontrollably while I'm watching these games, and my wife is staring at me like, what is going on? And I'm like, I don't, I can't stop. I, it's hilarious. <laughs> so I think that it's, it's just weird to see that. But that's that's bad luck. Some of that is bad luck. I mean, you, you know, and it's, it's, it's a little bit because he's a young guy. He's not really feeling pressure. He's not seeing guys coming, even guys that are hitting him directly in the chest. He's not seeing those guys coming off the coming off the edge, but that's still you know the odds of him being in the throwing motion to the point where the ball doesn't just fall to the ground, or you know the the whole empty hand thing like you know you you kind of expect those, but he's been getting that bad luck, but he also does have some uh, some issues with uh, not seeing coverages as well. He's thrown into some some zone coverages where guys are sitting underneath his receivers. That's something that you know Louisville needs to try to take advantage of, and that's something that Brian Brown does have in his playbook to drop some guys in the, in the short zones with pressure and things like that. But also, he's not very good about uh, protecting the football with, when he's running. He's been stripped a couple times. He's just been hit and, and, and the ball's falling out. 
so he he's he's got some issues turning the ball over. Their their running backs, I think one of their third string guys had a couple fumbles, I think. But um, you know the the good moments with Jeff Sims, their quarterback, their star freshman quarterback, are really good. He's when he when he has the time when he when he steps into a throw, he's accurate. He has a strong arm, but he takes those he has those mistakes also. And and Louisville has to take advantage of. He's they've turned the ball over ten times in the last two games. Louisville can't end this game with you know zero turnovers. Um, and, 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 and expect to win because that's part of why Georgia Tech has not been able to stay in the football game is because they give the other team multiple extra possessions. And when you play against a good offense, which I think Louisville should have a good offensive game, you, you can take advantage of that. So Louisville needs to be able to do that just like Syracuse and, and UCF did. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe the most telling stat of the Scott Satterfield era. Louisville 8-0 when they win the turnover battle, 1-7 and when they lose it. Uh, and that's held true this year. They won the turnover battle against Western Kentucky, lost it against both Pitt uh, and Miami. Although, I mean, to be fair, the Pitt, the, the turnover that cost Louisville the, I guess, the split in the turnover battle was that last Malik Cunningham kind of desperation toss that got picked off. If, if he hadn't made that throw, then it would have been still pretty clear that turnovers play a big part. Uh, speaking of Jeff Sims, you, you mentioned he's, for a team where Jeff Collins, I think, is playing a lot of his young talent that he's recruited Sims is probably the the focal point of that, the freshman quarterback. Scott Satterfield compared him to De'Eric King earlier this week. Is that just kind of Coach Feek stuff? I know he's got a little bit of talent, but that seemed like it was kind of some game week gamesmanship there. Yeah, I, I, I heard that. It, I'll be honest, it made no sense to me personally. But, I mean, he, he's he's not really a lightning-quick guy like De'Eric King. I look at De'Eric King as more quick than fast. And I look at Jeff Sims as a guy that, uh, is definitely more fast than quick. He, you know, if you get him in the open space, he might be able to take off on you, but he's not really a guy that necessarily makes people miss like De'Ara King can. Um, and he's mobile. I mean, he leads their team in, in, in rushing attempts. Uh, I'm not sure about yardage, but uh, I, I pointed this out this week, and I think this is an issue with their offense, is they run Jeff Sims a little bit too much, some of the design stuff, and then some of that scrambling. But they need to – their big players, their best players, in my opinion, are their two running backs. They've got Jamar Gibbs, uh, who's a star freshman, uh, the eighth-ranked uh, running back in the country this past recruiting class. An absolute huge pickup they got. And they all have Jameis Griffin, who uh, had Louisville as a finalist, actually, uh, two years ago, uh, who was a top-20 running back, a max, max prep All-American you know, really talented kids down south that are that that are buying in the the whole Jeff Collins rebuild and rebrand, and those two guys only touch the ball about 25 to 30 times a game combined. They need to get that to the the mid 30s to 40. I mean, those guys are electric. Uh, they they compare Gibbs to Reggie Bush, uh, and I don't know if he's got that necessarily you know quickness in the open field, but he definitely has a speed. I mean, a guy that if he gets out in the open. Nobody on Louisville's team is going to catch up to them. So they've got to, I think, getting those guys involved, taking some of that pressure off of Jeff Sims uh, would probably help Georgia Tech. And my concern is honestly coming off a of bye week, I think they've got time to really to self-scout. Just like, you know, Scott Satterfield pointed out, they self-scouted. They looked at how much they're running the ball on first down. You look at all those things, I'm sure Georgia Tech had to realize that, hey, our two best players aren't getting enough touches. Uh, we're, we're putting too much on Jeff Sims, and he's he's making these bad decisions. So let's try to take the ball out of his hands some, get him some help. And I think I, – I have a feeling that's what we'll see because those guys are outstanding. 
It sounds like part of the issue, too, wide receiver position, not a lot of help on the edge. I, I, the other thing with Georgia Tech, you mentioned Sims being under pressure, getting hit a lot, it, causing half those turnovers. Louisville's been pretty good at getting into the backfield. I know they're trying to do it a little bit more. They're fifth in the country in tackles per loss. I mean, do you think this – I know this is something we talk about. It feels like every single game. But is this one where Brian Brown maybe dials the pressure up a little bit and says – this is the best way to take pressure off the secondary. These guys have been susceptible to guys coming off the edge, guys coming right up the middle. Do you think that maybe we can do a little bit of what Syracuse and UCF and even Florida State did effectively on defense? Yeah, I hope so. I think, you know, Louisville has some – I think they're being more – they're more comfortable this year with their secondary. You've got Trey Clark who, who feels – I don't want to call him a lockdown corner – but they feel good about him. He, he doesn't come out of the game very often. They feel like he can cover in man coverage, and then they're getting better play out of their other side. Marlon Carriger had a great game last week. Chandler Jones had a great week two weeks ago. Anthony Johnson's been in there and playing well. So if you feel, you know, if they feel comfortable with those guys playing on an island, I think we're going to see them really try to stop the run and put uh, on, on first and second downs, you know, bringing a safety in whether it be Hayes or, or, or Rush Yeast, to step up into the box to try to slow down Gibbs and, and Griffin because those guys are really the key guys. And then leave those guys, get them in third downs and put pressure on Sims while also trying to disguise some coverages. A, a game that I actually thought about when I was, you know, kind of thinking how this game could go was actually Clemson last year when they their goal was just to confuse Trevor Lawrence and it led to three first half interceptions. I mean, really a, a smart, cerebral guy, a really good offense, great talent. And what they chose to do is really try to make sure that they were going to put things, you know, f- flash different coverages, do things pre-snap, and then change them when the ball is snapped. I think they're going to try to do some of that stuff against Jeff Sims, hopefully while also bringing an extra rusher or bringing a guy in and then dropping a defensive lineman. They did that with G.G. Robinson last year sometimes. Doing some things to confuse him, to confuse the pass rush, because he doesn't, he hasn't shown the ability to see those zone drops, zone coverages. I mean, Florida State, the interceptions they threw in that game were flat out throwing it directly to a guy sitting in his own uh, because he didn't expect that guy to be there. So did the same thing against Syracuse last week or two weeks ago. So I think that's that's what I saw on film. I'm assuming that Brian Brown probably noticed the same obvious things on these on these turnovers. Uh, but you do have to get 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 in his face a little bit, get his feet moving. And hopefully he uh, makes an errant throw or makes a bad decision. Defensively for Georgia Tech, statistically they look okay. Like they rank pretty high in a number of categories. But the big thing that stuck out to me was they've given up uh, 13 pass plays of 20 yards or more. That's the third uh, highest number of any team in the FBS that's played three games already. Louisville, I mean, made a name for itself last year with a big play. They had some big plays against West Kentucky, um, I guess a couple against Miami. But the big thing that was lacking against Pitt was they could not hit on that long ball to 2-2 Atwell through the air uh, when Pitt was bringing pressure. And just you kept waiting for it to happen. You kept waiting for it to happen, and they just could not get it there. Is this an area where, I mean, Louisville can finally get back to being who it was in 2019 and take advantage? Are, are we going to have – you know, a handful of 30-plus yard touchdown passes can make – I guess it's a big game for because of that and just because of how he's played the last couple of weeks. It feels like a big game for Malik Cunningham. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I'd be pretty disappointed if Louisville doesn't hit some big plays in this game. Uh, Georgia Tech's going to play p- press man coverage. They're, they're without their top corner. Um, it doesn't seem like anybody really knows when he's going to come back. 
Trace Willing, who's literally one of my favorite players in the country. He's just a fun kid to watch. Um, and he's been out apparently for the whole season. I, I thought they said Swilling was coming back this week. I thought they said that today. See, I, I wasn't, I haven't really, I've heard that he was in a cast and I've heard he might be coming back and he might not. Okay. Um, but, but the point of that is that they've been still running their same kind of press coverage without him. So they don't really have a lot of guys that can cover down the field that well outside of Swilling. Um, guys are just kind of getting beat. Syracuse just ran some straight go routes down the field and get, just could, guys couldn't keep up. Um, so they don't really shy away from playing that press coverage, um, even though they quite literally have not shown the ability to actually stay with anybody. They have bigger corners. I mean, 6'1", 6'2", uh, 210, 215-pound guys. Their safeties are 220. I mean, very big, large athletes that just don't do well in pass coverage. And uh, while having those guys, like I said, they still don't shy away from playing that press coverage. And Louisville has to take advantage of that. Syracuse did that with their slot guys. They did that with their outside receivers. Uh, UCF was able to do it, especially with their outside guys. They have a big jumbo tight end kind of guy that, you know, was still outrunning their their secondary players. I mean, they're just not very great in the back end. And then on top of that, they haven't really gotten a lot of great pass rush. Um, you know, it's not a bad pass rush, but it's not dynamic. It's not something that you really fear. Um, so if they're playing that press coverage, that's just, you know, Malik with a three-step drop and just letting it loose to, to Dez and, and Tutu and those guys and, and letting them be coverage because those safeties aren't going to get over top. They don't really play two safeties over top. So you have the space. You have the exact situation you want. Some of what we saw in late in the game against Pitt, they just didn't, you know, Malik was getting pressure. He's kind of throwing the ball up there and hoping that, you know, good things happen. He should be able to step back, step up in the pocket, have the time to really to throw the ball and throw it accurately like we saw against Western Kentucky, like we saw, uh, you know, in, in, in last year a lot. So I, I would expect that to happen. I don't see them changing their defense. Pitt didn't change their defense, and they felt comfortable with it. I mean, these last two week, two games that, that Georgia Tech played, they played high-powered offenses or offenses that can be high-powered. And they didn't change anything. They, they're going to play in-your-face defense, and it hasn't worked out well for them. We had a Twitter question um, on the last pod a couple of days ago. Somebody saying, and the quarterback's always going to get the blame when the offense isn't performing the way that people want it to. But somebody was uh, asked, you know, if Malik doesn't play well on Friday night, does the staff think about potentially making a switch there? And my answer was I, it, it would have to go – catastrophically wrong for that to be the case if you I mean if you're going to put Evan Conley in you don't want him to be making his first start at Notre Dame uh, in a week in a game that's going to be pretty big I but it still feels like this is a game where Malik's got some pressure because he hasn't been as good as a lot of people were projecting him to be I don't know how much of the blame he takes for that but the pit numbers weren't good he was under constant pressure he couldn't hit that deep ball um he was okay against Miami but he was bad in the first half when Miami was able to build a lead uh, and then against Western Kentucky uh, a few big plays but kind of what you would expect him to do against that that Western Kentucky defense are people making too much of a deal of that or where do you stand right now on what you've seen from Cunningham through the first three weeks I think I think that he didn't play very well against Pitt at all. Um, I know the offensive line didn't help him in any way, shape, or form. But you know, the big thing is that I think there is a fair expectation for him to have taken that next step in his progression as a player, coming off of how he finished last year. And I don't know that we've seen that. And I think that's the big disappointment. 
I don't know that means that you you make a change because I think we see we know what level he can play to. Uh, but I think it would I, I agree it would have to be an absolutely awful abysmal game against a defense that's not a tough defense. You know that that's that you know that plays into it is that this is a game where he should shine. He should play well. He should have time to throw. He should have opportunities to hit open receivers. And you know to me, if he's not doing that, if you're having issues with hey, he should be making these throws. There's not guys in his face. Guys are running open, and he's not hitting hitting them. Then yeah, you have to you have to at least consider the fact that hey, we have other options. Uh, you have to at least give an opportunity to to say hey, this it's just not working, you know. And but I, I can't really envision that happening. I don't think he's been that bad over the three games. I think the pick game was just very, uh, you know, he had open guys that he couldn't hit. He made some questionable throws. He had, he had the other interception where he just threw in the coverage expecting Des to be open and didn't actually read what the, what coverage Pitt was in. So you, you see some of those things and it's disappointing, but you also understand that, hey, he was under a lot of, lot of pressure uh, from, from Pitt's defense. Playing it against an average defense like they're going to see, uh, you know, on Friday, they you, you can get a better feel for really judging how he's playing. But if he plays poorly against Georgia Tech, I think you have to at least consider giving Evan Conley some time to see how he's, you know, he might have progressed in the offseason to the point where he might be the guy that can, you know, at least win you football games this year. It's kind of surprising, too, looking back at last year. You know, I know at this point in the season, Malik Cunningham had kind of established himself as being the quarterback, but he still wasn't playing full games. You know, he only played, I think, three out of the um, 13 games that Louisville played. Malik Cunningham was the guy for all four quarters. And it was sometimes it was he got dinged up, and then Evan Conley came in and played well, and they just kept him in. Sometimes it was he was playing poorly, and Evan Conley came in. And then even when he was playing well, there was, there was that period of time in mid-October where you know they said, we've got design series for, for Evan Conley. He's going to get the first series of the second quarter or whatever it was. We haven't seen any of Evan Conley. We haven't seen anybody but Malik Cunningham. Do you think that maybe the staff kind of starts – again, if, if Cunningham plays – an average game on Friday, and let's say Louisville wins, do you think that the staff maybe starts thinking about, do we just get Conley back in there to get his feet wet? Because um, that's something that we saw all last year, pretty much, that we haven't seen at all this year. I think I think if they are, uh, I would expect if this Georgia Tech game, if Louisville's up by a few touchdowns, I'd be surprised if they don't at least get Conley in the game, get him some reps. Uh, just getting getting him on the field some, um, and I think that going forward, I think that'll kind of be the mindset. Just because it only makes sense. You can't if you have an opportunity, and I, I think this is what winning programs, the top programs do, and it's kind of the the new wave of doing things because Clemson kind of started this trend of playing as many guys as possible, getting guys out there, getting them experience because later in the season you need those guys. Injuries happen, guys get worn down. You want to be able to get guys on the field and get them game experience so that when something does go wrong or if you need to make a change, you have guys playing. So I think Louisville kind of has that mindset. They just haven't really been able to do that over the last few years, but they did it with Conley last year, and I think that's going to be at least a little bit. I don't expect them to play like they did last year where they're talking about splitting reps, and if Conley comes in and plays well, they're just going to keep him in. But I think they'll have to get him some reps. Um, and, and in general, just for the future of the program, if you have an opportunity – and you have a guy you feel comfortable with, which we, we know they do as of la- you know how he played last year. Uh, you got to find ways to get him some kind of snaps. I just don't think it'll be what we saw last year. 
the weirdest stat to me that I saw when I was looking at the game notes for both these teams, Louisville in Friday night games, they've played 82 of them over the years. They're 50, 31, and 1. Um, and then if you're looking at the televised games, like the modern era on ESPN or ESPN2, they've played 22 of them. They're 12 and 10 in those games, and they're 5 and 2 on the road. Georgia Tech, I don't know if you've seen this. When do you think the last time that Georgia Tech played a home Friday night game was? Oh, man. I don't know. Um, I'm thinking sometime in the 90s. September 26th, 1958. <laughs> it, which is, it seems like a shocking thing. They've only played 11 games total uh, on Friday nights. They're 7-4 and four overall. They haven't played one at home since a 17-3 win over FSU back in 1958. That kind of, I mean, I, I know that, I guess, big-time Friday night football is still a relatively new thing. Uh, all things considered, but it's shocking that we could have played 82 of those games and they could have only played 11 over the years. Do you like the Friday night game, though? I, I do, and I, I, it's weird. The weird thing about that to me is that the ACC has been playing Friday games at least, I, I think, a little bit more regularly over the last few years, and I guess maybe they, they haven't had a Georgia Tech game partially because Georgia Tech isn't really a, isn't really a prime time type of team. You know, like it, it, with in the Paul Johnson years, nobody, you know, you're not watching a lot of Georgia Tech football because it's not really a fun brand of football. So I guess maybe that's why. I, that's just that's shocking to me. It it's it's kind of crazy. The, the kids aren't staying home uh, at 8:30 on a Friday to watch, you know, 55 triple option plays or whatever. What, they get mad when they say triple option, but whatever. It's the triple option. Shut, yeah. He's he's gone. Get over it, yeah. Georgia Tech, and shut the fuck up. <laughs> It's the triple option. <laughs> but I, I do love Friday night games. I think it's fun. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm mean, i sitting here watching Tulane and Houston in the background because I watch football nonstop. I mean, it's just it's just fun for me. But I think from a fan standpoint, when you're it's a it's a day early, you have all your all the eyes are on it. It's fun to follow along on Twitter. It's, it's just it adds a little bit of a different dimension, I guess. And, you know, I, I think it's cool. I think it's a uh, it kind of throws off the timing and whatnot. I know the coaches don't always like the Thursday and Friday games because it's short. It's a short week and whatnot. But I don't know. I, I think it's a. It's just more football. I don't know how anybody doesn't like more football. I mean, I think we're getting action back here in the next couple yeah. weeks, and so we'll have Wednesday night games and some. You know, they hell they played Tuesday night games I think before. So I don't know. I, I don't. I, I think it's great, but um, you know, I, I like I'm I'm excited about it tomorrow. I think it's going to be good to be able to get off work and watch football. Well said. Um, the last thing on the 2018 game, the only other thing that I remember about it is I was gung-ho on um, on Jordan Travis being the guy for that team, the guy that they should have given the reins to at quarterback when it was clear that the season was lost. He got in at the end of the game, kind of a mixed bag, missed some throws. I think he led one touchdown drive late. He's now the starting quarterback at Florida State. He played pretty well in relief against Jacksonville State. You'd assume he's going to be the guy when they come, uh, when we play them on October 24th. I, I mean, I, I, because you watched – Tulane on a Thursday night. I'm assuming you watched a little bit of Jordan Travis against Jacksonville State. Does he look like he could be the guy for them moving forward? Yeah, I think I think the big thing with Jordan Travis, and we saw that Georgia State game is a perfect example. He's he's er, erratic is probably the best word because yeah. not necessarily from a standpoint of just how inaccurate he can be. It's the way he plays the game. Like he's like the way he runs is erratic. Like he just does everything in hyperspeed. So I think that part of the issue for him and, and what they've got him to do maybe is to slow him down a little bit, give him easier throws so that he can start to get more into a rhythm. Because when we saw him against Georgia Tech that year, like I remember even Petrino after the game, 
he said that part of the reason why he was uh, he struggled to throw the football is because he was out of he was out of breath. He was he was running around so much trying to make a play that he had wore himself he wore himself out, and then when it was time to actually like run the offense as normal, he just couldn't do it. So I think you know Florida State has been using him as like a runner for a while and just run run packages, but they finally said okay, this he can throw the football. He's just like I said, he's just erratic. You never know if he's going to make accurate throws or if he's or if he's going to be all over the place. So I think if they can figure out a way to keep him kind of calm him down a little bit, he's got great skill. He's a I thought he was a better passer coming into Louisville than he was a runner. And then when we saw him run, I was like, ah, oh, this guy's actually got some athletic ability, you know, to a level I didn't expect. So. Yeah, you know, I'm happy that the kid found the place, and they're they're finally giving him a chance to actually throw the football because he's he's been doing really well running the ball down there and actually moving the chains and making big plays. He had a couple big big runs last year, but you know you can't you know he deserves a chance to be the starter. And apparently he can't, he helped them come back and win the game. I only saw the highlights, so um, but it, yeah, I, I think he's going to be the guy down there, and hopefully they just stick with him. I'm excited for him to figure everything out on October 24th and become like the, you know, the ACC's best quarterback besides Trevor Lawrence. Then he'll win the Heisman in two years. Nick Petrino will take credit for it, even though I don't think he knew his name um, when he announced that he was transferring. So uh, looking forward to those days. All right, it's prediction time. We'll get out of here on this. I feel – I know we talked about the Tech offense being a little bit misleading, the, the numbers they've put up because they've had such good yardage. The turnovers have been an issue. I still feel irrationally good about this game. I just think that Louisville is better than they've shown the last couple of weeks. I think they're finally going – they're not going I – don't, I don't think this staff is going to let this team with all this talent on the offensive side of the ball lose – three games in a row and play poorly three times in a row. Um, Georgia Tech kind of feels like they're doing the 2011 Louisville thing with Charlie Strong when he just threw all the talented freshmen and sophomores who probably weren't ready for big-time snaps just yet. He just threw them on the field because he knew they were going to be better players down the line for it. I think they're a couple of years away. I think Louisville wins this game relatively handily. I'll say 38-23. Not sure if I'm being overly uh, optimistic there. But what do you say, Keith? No, it, I, I agree. I think that uh... – Georgia Tech has they're they're just not there from a standpoint of being a complete team yet. I think they have talent at different spots. I think they've actually played well at times, but I, I don't know if they can put it all together. And, and hopefully, you know that's that's the that's the worry that hey they're going to put it together. Louisville's going to allow them to put it together somehow, but I don't know that they're just they're they're able to do it on their own. And and I'm hoping that uh, off a of bye week, Louisville comes in kind of prepared to play better. Um, and I actually, you know, I, I feel I'm, my prediction is actually 38-21. I think nice. it's going to be uh, Louisville gets the offense going. I don't know if they get it to the level that I expect that I want them to because I think this is a, a Louisville offense that should be able to put up 40-plus easily on this Georgia Tech defense with the style of defense they play. But, I, you know, I, I feel like there's still some things they need to work out. And I think Georgia Tech can come in and they're at home. They're going to be excited to play. And I think uh, – They'll keep it closer than maybe, you know, I would like it to be. But, uh, yeah, I'm thinking somewhere around a 38-21 score uh, for this game. Couldn't just say 38-23. Had to, uh, had to yeah. best by two points because you're yeah. yeah, Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, great. Uh, appreciate <laughs> it. Uh, it is game day. Happy game day to you. Let's get this win tonight. Let's get these good vibes back. Hopefully we'll be all be in better moods next week talking about this game. Uh, Keith, appreciate the time, man. 
Everybody enjoy the game tonight. If you haven't subscribed to the pod, please do that as well. Leave us a review. Give us five stars. Do all that good stuff. Uh, make fun of Keith. That would be awesome, too. Uh, until we talk to you guys next week, thanks so much for listening. Go Cards. <laughs>